Welcome to the RSP Film and Theory. He's Adam Harstad with Football Guys. I'm Matt Waldman with Football Guys and the Rookie Scouting Portfolio, which, by the way, the uh, pre-sale or pre-order, pre-order of the RSP is available beginning today, and you get a discount of $19.95 um, is the cost as opposed to $21.95 if you do the pre-order discount today through December 21st. And then beginning December 22nd, for you folks who insist on paying full price, I know there are a lot of you, um, it'll be available for $21.95 as a pre-order through um, April 1st when the publication is available. Um, again, this is in its, the RSP is in its 19th year. Um, you get a, a pre-draft and post-draft guide. Um, and really, if you're thinking, you know, why pre-order, I would just say, um, if you're new, to the RSP and many of you were last year um, you know it gives you a chance to get it as a little bit of a thank you to get it at a discount to give it a try um, you'll find that really 2195 is a massive discount usually after you've uh, you've taken a look at it that's generally the the consensus view that I get in terms of feedback um, and it helps me you know it helps me with cash flow during the year to make plans to, to do some things for the coming year um, so, you know, it's, I wouldn't be offering it if it wouldn't help me. So it, it certainly is something that hopefully is a mutual benefit for, for you. Um, and again, you know, listen, the RSP is the second, not the second most, it's one of the two most purchased draft guides, um, from media scout of media scouts work by, um, NFL people, especially scouts who come and visit these schools. This is what I've learned from folks like um, Alex Brown, who's the director of recruiting at SMU and visits with the scouts and, and different NFL personnel folks. Um, so, you know, you're getting football observations and also filtered through a fantasy lens as a fantasy writer for your dynasty leagues and redrafts. It's very helpful for, you know, waiver wire research um, in terms of free agent pickups. Um, in addition to getting views on players that we often talk about here. So again, you can go to mountwaldman.com and you can order that there as well as the RSP um, Dynasty Rankings and Projection Service. If you want to do that, it runs June through June. Um, that's available for $24.95. That's a separate product. Um, and as always, I donate um, up to $5,000 to Darkness to Light, an organization devoted to preventing sexual abuse of children through training programs for individuals, business groups, civics groups. Um, and they also do a lot of training to help individuals understand how to handle the issue and approach it when it unfortunately does happen so that they don't compound the problem, which is often the case with, with abuse cases is where the adults don't know how to handle it and it creates a, a, a big issue. And we've raised over $55,000 over the past decade a little longer than that um you know so we're very proud of that and the work that they do you can learn more about them at d2l.org um, and if you just want to donate to them go ahead and do that you, you know and uh but if not you know do both and you'll, you'll get a really nice uh publication that'll be helpful to you um from fantasy or to learn a little bit more about football i'll also add i don't know if our listeners realize this but uh, apparently christmas is coming up soon i i, I have been told <laughs> So I, it's just a happy coincidence of timing. And I'll add, too, that, um, you know, Matt's been doing this work for over a decade. And because of the way he does his work, 
um, and the way he he tracks the data and quantifies as much as he can, um, it kind of becomes catnip for a lot of like the data analyst um, types because you can you can like test. It's not unfalsifiable scouting reports where he's just saying this player is good, this player is bad. He's actually putting numbers to things and he's making claims that are testable. Um, and so there's been a lot of work on his scouting portfolio over the years that has find that like yes this has a high degree of construct validity like it's measuring the things that it purports to be measuring um it's consistent and replicable replicable across samples i know matt does a lot of in-house testing on that as well um so i feel like a lot of um analysts analysis especially football analysis sometimes fantasy analysis um just falls into the just trust me bro kind of category uh where like you know this is the truth and just take my word for it because i know what i'm talking about and you know i know what i'm talking about because i said so just take my word for it um and the rookie scouting portfolio is absolutely not that there's there's actual data um and and um numbers to back up that yet yes this does tell you what it purports to be telling you yeah well i appreciate that and you know because that that was the hope the aim for this and you know i'm, I'm glad the fact that you and Dwayne McFarlane I mean, when I first got in touch with Dwayne because Dwayne was a customer and he said I'm you know I obviously have my own processes for for winning and earning money in, in large tournaments um, you know like the FFPC and where he's placed highly and uh, a few times I believe um, and he told me you know when he approached me it was like I've been a I've been a, um, a subscriber of the RSP for many years and I found that it was worthwhile with this and I would love to get a hold of your data <laughs> to do some work. Um, you, you know, and we got to talking and start, you know, and, you know, and, and started a, a good partnership and friendship out of that as well. You know, so it's, it's nice to have folks who are looking at numbers and models and, and, and find that there's worthwhile work with that because I, you know, I see it as a process, you know, I, but I loved how you described it this morning on on X talking of, with Matt Harmon because you, you, you said, you know, talked about whose was the, I think it was the where, the how, and um, and what was the what was the third one there? Yeah, so like when the yeah. three of us look at wide receivers, we're we're looking through three different lenses, yeah. um, and you're looking at like you're looking at traits, like what traits does this person possess that will lead to them getting open and producing, and Harmon is looking at um, outcomes, like is this person getting open, and if so, that will lead to them producing. And I'm looking at like the end point, like is this person producing? Well, then they're probably getting open, which means they they probably have the traits. So we're looking at three different aspects of a play. You're looking at the how, Harmon's looking at the how often, and I'm looking at the to what end. Um, so we're really analyzing receivers through three different lenses. And it's kind of cool that like we all kind of independently wind up picking up on the same receivers. Like it shouldn't be surprising um, if we're all measuring something that's real, we should all be converging on the same receivers. But the fact that we're using three independent processes that are all kind of leading us to the same place um, is really kind of a strong testament to again the construct validity and and um the fact that like yeah we we are all picking up on something that's like real here yeah so again you know thanks again for for you know one just listen to this show um and being a, a regular listener we've you know we've certainly have enjoyed the feedback that you've provided um getting the rsp is certainly helpful to that end to be able to do you know 
as a way of being able to say thanks. Um, I would say subscribing to Football Guys is also a good way of being able to do that for sure. Um, so, you know, with that in mind, we're going to get on to the show. We're going to talk a little bit about um, tanking, and Adam has some alternatives to, you know, brought up some really great alternatives in his article at Football Guys to tanking that can be helpful for you, you know, maybe helping your league mates approach things in a different way. Um, and we're going to talk about player development, um, something that Kyle Shanahan mentioned a few weeks ago in a press conference where a 49ers writer basically said, um, and we'll lead off with that, you know, the, the, the writer was basically asking him about Brock Purdy, or I think it was wide receivers, about a wide receiver and something that happened on the field and asked about, you know, how he's going to learn or develop in a certain manner. And Kyle Shanahan uh, essentially, after much back and forth, saying, look, you know, players don't get coached in that way in the NFL. We don't spend time teaching them fundamentals and refining their their skills, their technical skills, or, um, or even certain conceptual skills. We're actually expecting them to do that on their own, and that's why they have coaches who are separate from the team who they work with in the offseason. And I think that that was one of my favorite things that I saw come out on social media this entire year and maybe for the past five years because you know this is a common theme talked about on the RSP cast regardless of what show it is is that coach you know the whole idea that players get will get coached up when they get when they get into the NFL it's not it's a fallacy generally what happens or I would say really what happens most of the time is that players get coached on scheme um, and game plan. That's what most of the time is spent on. And even in college, that's the case. Because if we go back to college, Mike Wallace was a great example, the wide receiver for the Steelers who came out of Ole Miss and eventually played for the Vikings, the Dolphins, and the Ravens for a bit. And he even said at the Senior Bowl that he learned more about playing wide receiver at the Senior Bowl in a week than he learned his entire time at Ole Miss. And so that was, you know, that was eye-opening. And people at first just thought that that was a joke against Ole Miss because, A, it's a Southern school, um, you know, B, they weren't very good, you know, at the time. They were a mid to low tier SEC school. So I think people just took it, from, you know, from those types of angles, which is typical of kind of media stereotyping of a situation that they would apply. Um, but really, you know, I've talked to so many players over the years now, and they often just say, yeah, I mean, I, you know, if I want to learn this stuff, I'm doing this extra. I'm, you know, I'm consulting with a veteran and he's teaching me something, or I ask a coach afterwards and he's showing me something. Um, and I think that that's, an important aspect of it. I mean, even to, I, I could tell you, you know, a good story about that for me was um, the former Notre Dame running back who uh, who was like hot, drafted in the first round, but he had an injury riddled career. I'm trying to remember his name um, recently, like Mike Mayock, I think had him number one overall at one time, but uh, he was, 
oh, what was his name? I can't remember his name um, right off the bat because he didn't really have a huge year, but I can look him up real quick. Um, but the point is, is I remember profiling him a few years ago talking about um, scheme and, you know, and about how that he looked, he had a really big game and then he ended up, you know, in, in that he had a really big game and watching that game, he was a really good gap runner, but he was not a very good zone runner. At the time, the NFL was very much a zone running team. Um, and so, you know, when I studied him, I was giving examples of how, what he would have to learn, um, you know, what he would have to learn to be um, a better player in that way. It was CJ Procise. That's what's been bothering me. CJ Procise was the player. And so I, I talked about what he would have to learn to get better in the league and that this was something that he was going to have to work on himself. And as a bit of confirmation, about a week later, I got an email from his, who turned out to be his brother. And his older brother's like, I just want, you know, I'm, CJ wants to know if you have any coaches that you could recommend to him because he took your YouTube video that was deconstructing his play and he took it to his, his running back coach at Notre Dame and said, what do you think of this? And the running back coach told him that was spot on. And yeah, you're going to have to work on this probably when you get to the, to get to the NFL. And so I ended up hooking him up with a guy by the name of Chad Spann, who was a former running back and ended up, you know, coaching players for a little bit before he ended up coaching high school. And one of his players that he, I think he recently coached was David Bell, the, the Browns wide receiver. But, uh, but the point being is, is that, you know, there's so much time spent on scheme, so much time spent on game plan because it's, they, they tend to be pretty complicated and just the execution of those things is complicated enough that coaches just expect especially with the way the NFL is structured that these players are going to find someone to work with them um, and in the in college game it's mainly about athletes you know who's the best athlete let's leverage what they do well and we'll find players at what they do well and we'll get them the ball as much as possible and it's often about ath out athleting people and yeah certainly there's some teaching that can go on at those levels but it's not what you would expect and I often bring up the Tony Gonzalez video that is available on NFL um, on YouTube you can look up NFL top 100 of all time and Chris Collinsworth asked Tony Gonzalez when they're inducting him into this you know giving him this honor about you know, I always thought the way you caught the ball was natural, like this was a natural thing and kind of served him up a softball for him to say, no, you know, I led the league in drops in year two of, of, and I was so distraught over it that I started reading everything I could on like how to create my own training and, and, and methodologies to get better. And then I started implementing it by recruiting position coaches and assistants at, on my team to throw me balls and do certain drills with me that I showed them what drills I wanted done and what they needed to do. And I religiously did it before practice and after practice every day for years, you know, to get better. And it's, and so when people think about practice, they often look at it and they think, oh, well, you know, 
I'm watching these drills and all-star games and and they're not performing this well. They've just never seen this drill before and they'll get better at it and it's going to make them better than what they do on the field. Where oftentimes these drills are about getting the player warmed up and showing the player things that they can possibly work on on their own and break it down really slow and spend a lot of time on it to get better because three to four minutes per drill is not going to make you better two, three times a week compared to maybe spending a half hour on a drill every day or 10 to 15 minutes of really focused time where you go slow and work your way up, uh, you know, over a period of months, you know, I mean, a good example of somebody who, you know, and that's how that relates to music because like with music, you would talk about how there's like, you take your kid to band practice and they play the sheet music. Practice what there is usually about is about learning the music, learning the scheme, learning the game plan. All the tools that they have to do to ex- execute that comes with private lessons and practicing at home. And you think of someone like Sting. I remember hearing Branford Marcellus talk about Sting um, and how that he sang some like, I think it was like some Irish folk tune that had like a very um, specific type of technique that he was going to have to learn vocally to do. And he practiced this one little passage um, slowly for, I think, six months before he ever recorded it um, so that he could learn how to do it. And that's craft. And I think that that's something that is missed out on that we often see these athletes as just savants who who learn this things and there are certainly guys who are that way but a lot of them adam are just you know they figured out how to work or they got they were fortunate by going through certain programs um and learning the right things and practicing those right things and absorbing the right things in combination which is probably also why there's such a small percentage of players who do really well in the league is that they it's hard to find that right combination without like a very specific curriculum given to someone at youth. And that's, and it's so haphazard in how these people, you know, develop their craft because sometimes they're really good at one thing because something that they were, you know, intuitively good at absorbing, they just happened to latch onto that and that got them better and better. Whereas others were like, I don't have the first clue. I think Tom Brady was a good example of, I don't have the first clue, but I kept getting, um, but I had people say to me, look, if you want a chance, you need to approach it this way. And 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 for most players, they, if they were at the Michigan in the ninth quarterback on the depth chart and told, you should probably just leave if you want to start somewhere else. But if you want to be the best you can be, you need to do X, Y, and Z. And you need to take these one to two plays at a time and fo- and give them a level of focus and detail like you've never done before. Most young kids at his age would have just left. They wouldn't have done what happened. But Tom Brady actually focused on those things in micro detail and got better. And then you could say by ac- part part of it is a happy accident of being a being on the boxing team and developing footwork you know, as a, as an aspiring, you know, boxer, at least on an amateur level, which aided his 
ability to work in tight quarters in a pocket. So, you know, it's not like you could just say what makes a good player and you can read off, you know, just a definitive list. There are a lot of ways it can get done and it can make very haphazard that way. So development in its own way is, is very much still a final frontier of what makes a good football player. Yeah, uh, people who've been playing fantasy football for a while might remember Larry Fitzgerald used to run a wide receiver camp in the offseason where he would just basically invite just a bunch of receivers from around the league and they'd all get together for a week and they'd it'd just be like a powwow. And, and Fitzgerald would talk about like what he knew and he like, oh, this is how I beat this coverage. Like, this is what I see. Like, this is what I do here. This is what I do here. And he'd, you know, drill all the other receivers and you know, how do you do this and what do you do this? And they would basically just all work together on their craft and collaborate. Um, and that's partly why Fitzgerald was as good as he was, is because he's he was dedicated to learning, like, the details of, of how to approach certain things and how to achieve certain things. Um, but it also kind of became, like, a running joke for a number of years where, like, you, you always wanted to see the list of who got invited to Larry Fitzgerald's camp because they always had breakout years afterwards. Um, and I, I don't think it was a coincidence. I, I think for a lot of the receivers, not for Fitzgerald, because he'd obviously been doing this, but for a lot of the other receivers, um, I think it might have been like their first experience or one of their first experiences with this focused, um, just this focused drilling on like these finer elements of their craft um, and their games really did benefit from it. Um, and I do think that... I get the time constraints that NFL offenses are incredibly complex and you need every available minute for install. And if you're going to do a new game plan every week, which you have to do, because if you don't, the defense is going to eat you alive. You, your time is devoted to that. You, you don't have time to do, you know, maybe if there's something like super egregious, um, you can do like little reminders, but you don't have the time to do like dedicated work. And also when, when players are learning new techniques, you know, like there's kind of a trough, like they start out pretty good and then you have to break them down to, to drill in the new technique. And you don't want to be breaking somebody down in the middle of the season. That's right. not good either. Because now they're uh, going to make mistakes on things that they already know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I get why teams don't do more, more drilling. Um, but I do think that like the rare exceptions you hear of where coaches and players and teams do actually like focus on these fundamentals like you mentioned Peyton Manning always used to drill handoffs with his running backs and and just like the mechanics of it like this is where I want you to step step here 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 I want you to take the ball like this you know we're going to do like at this and 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 he went to Denver um and Demarius Thomas was obviously this incredibly physically gifted receiver but he didn't really have the craft of wide receiver and Peyton Manning would say, like, look, when you want this route, I want you to hit this point on the field. I don't want you to get close to this point. I want you to, like, your foot needs to be on this patch of grass when you hit your break every time. And if it's not there, the ball's not coming to you. And Demarius is like, well, I want the ball, so I'm going to do what it takes to make sure I am running this exactly how Peyton wants me to do. And the result was, like, a tremendous tremendous career for Demarius Thomas kept hitting 1400 yards a year and and even after Peyton Manning left like he was still a tremendous receiver because that all carried over um or like Pittsburgh Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season and people talk about it's because the GMs keep giving him so much talent to work with but like no GM is giving you that much talent I, I think Tomlin is one of the few coaches who takes talent development seriously and, and he actually works on that sort of stuff and he has this clip where like you know a lot of coaches will will say, like, if, if a player is struggling, they'll say, like, oh, yeah, you know, like, this player is struggling at this. And he's like, players don't struggle. If a player is struggling, it's because your teaching is hurting. 
Like that's that's a teaching problem. That's not a player problem. And his players, he encourages his players to teach as well. His yeah. veterans do a lot of teaching. Chad Spann, who I mentioned earlier, his time in Pittsburgh, he talked about how the veterans taught him a lot as a practice squad guy. Yeah, and and, and that player development pays tremendous dividends. It paid tremendous dividends for Peyton Manning, whose offenses were just always borderline unstoppable. Um, it's obviously paid tremendous dividends for Mike Tomlin, who has still never had a losing record in like 17 years, which is unprecedented in NFL history. So I think that teams could do a lot more player development than they currently do. I think a lot of it's just path dependency where, you know, coaches come up in systems where there's not a lot of development and then they go and they establish their own systems and they kind of do what they know. Um, and so that's not, you know, and, and what they know is just not that much player development or they're focusing on guys are getting hired because of their um, skill at like X's and O's. Yep. And so then they're coming and they're focusing on the X's and O's. I don't think owners are really looking around and 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 looking for like a Mike Tomlin type where they're like, who do we have evidence is just like fantastic at developing players. Let's hire and empower that guy and see, let him do his thing. Um, so yeah, I, I think teams can and should develop more than they can, but like not during the season, of course, just yeah. the, the constraints of reality and the constraints of time. Um, I get why they don't. And, and it's, it's a funny misconception. And, and there's a couple like funny misconceptions like that in football where like if you talk to people around football they're like yeah that doesn't happen like halftime adjustments like yes. the mythical halftime adjustments if a team plays poorly in the first half and then comes out strong in the second half the announcers are like oh they make great adjustments in the locker room and you ask the players and like man like there's enough time for me to like go to the bathroom and like eat an orange and and like i'm ready to go back out there like there's no time for like we're not having these meetings where we're changing our scheme on the fly i mean think of think about it this way like um, Bryce Young and drops, okay, like his drop back footwork. People, are, I've got asked about that. Like, is that an easy thing to fix? You know, do you expect that he's going to be able to do it? And the answer is, it's an easy thing to fix in theory in terms of, you know, you just have to spend every day really working on that. Um, but the thing is, is that your drop footwork, your drop back footwork is also tied a lot to your routes and right now it's not tied very well to his routes because his drop footwork isn't very strong um but the thing is is as you're trying to work that out um it impacts the rhythm of how you read the field how comfortably if you're focused on your feet so much that it's not second nature you're not seeing the field very well just try like having a conversation like like it, say you got in front of a drum set and somebody said i want you to play this rhythm and it's a fairly simple rhythm but it's it requires that you use you know both hands doing something different and then your foot doing something different and you have no experience with that and now you're supposed to carry on a conversation while you do it or you know as an earlier in this podcast try to remember the name cj Procise and tell a story at the same time um <laughs> it's just it doesn't work very well it comes out stilted it doesn't have you know the the flow that it should have and i think that that's the problem is that he's a guy like young isn't gonna be able to do this mid-season um because for the exact reasons adam stated so you have to you have to take that time and a lot of these coaches just on another note that you brought up, a lot of these coaches don't know the positions very well that they coach. Um, this is another fallacy that people don't realize is that 
Maybe they started as a quality control coach and their former wide receiver. Um, and then they continued to get promoted up the food chain because they do a good job of making sure that the players know their game plan and, and you know, designing drills or, or working with them and, and in a manner of just managing what the process is for the game plan and scheme. And then they've read a couple of books on, say, defensive linemen, and now they're a defensive line coach. That's Ryan Riddle's story about his defensive line coach at Cal, which had a killer defensive line and had Aaron Rodgers and Marshawn Lynch on the other side of the ball. And how, you know, I've talked about Ryan saying, you know, I when we before our defense was good, we were struggling, but we had all these players that they recruited who were creative players who didn't do everything by the book. And a lot of defense is about knowing when to take a chance and try and shoot certain gaps or because you see something and you go against the theory of it because you see a tell and you take the risk and you get big game plan changing plays. And a good example of a player who was that way that I remember Ryan really liked and we watched together was Kyle Van Noy, the current Ravens um, pass rusher who played in Detroit and wasn't very good in Detroit because they asked him to go by the book a lot and he was very much a free-flowing player who could make adjustments and do versatile things. And he wound up in New England and had started to have a much better career um, because New England understood that about him and had a system that was more conducive to what he does well. And when Ryan, you know, was at back at Cal and the, the team was struggling, he approached his coach, who was a wide former wide receiver who had learned you know, the way I described, you know, theoretically, that was really his path. And the wide receiver coach was, or the, form, the defensive line coach for Cal was like, I don't really want you guys to do that. It goes against our scheme. It goes against these things. And Ryan knew, even as a young man, that like, my coach is just scared because he knows it's his ass if things don't work out. And if they, if we freelance too much, it's going to look like he's out of control. So I found, I figured out a way to talk with him and say, listen, you know, we, we're going to make you look good if we'll adhere to these things. But if you give us some room here and you can, ex you know, just explain to whoever you need to, this is what happens. We're going to be a lot better. And they ended up being one of the better pass rushing units. The coach got talked into it and he just said, oh, you know, but he said, it, you know, kind of Ryan told me, he goes, he was kind of like, okay, okay, fine do it but if if not if this doesn't work we're going right back to what i do you know and fortunately it worked but because they were able to get the most out of these players who were freelancing you know intuitive guys who read their opponents and figured out how to adjust as opposed to just saying well we're going to run this and 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 be predictable with it yeah and i think one of the fun things about this podcast is that like Football is often, you know, a metaphor for life. Life is often a metaphor for football. Um, and I would like encourage listeners to think about, you know, your own day-to-day -day life. I was reading something recently, you know, like after, in the pandemic, everybody was work for home for a while and, and corporations like really don't like that. And they really want to get people back in the office. And one of the arguments um, that has been advanced is that like, it's hard to do mentorship when everybody is remote, but like, how much mentorship do you get when you're not remote too? Like think of every job you've ever worked at, like how much, 
like how much actual mentorship hands on like this is how this is what i expect of you and this is how i want you to do that and we're gonna like work on it together until like i'm i'm convinced that you can deliver what i want the way that i want it like no every job i've ever had it's this is what is expected of you figure out how to get it done um and i you know i was talking to my wife about it she's currently at um like her current employer is like universally well regarded within the field it's a very well known and successful um employer in the field and their um onboarding and mentorship process is unbelievable when you start there you have basically 90 days where you don't have any performance metrics to hit like you can you, you like you have to do some treatment during the day but um like you ramp up how much treatment you have to do and you have all of these extra hours where you can like sit in on treatments with other therapists and you can um like go to these people for help and like there's here's all these resources and we're going to give you 90 days to get acclimated before we're expecting like like performance at, at our normal expectation levels um and and she's like that's like wholly unheard of in the industry and that's partly why her employer is so well regarded you know she worked at another place that also has a good reputation it's not it wasn't a bad employer but like they gave her two days of of shadowing therapist and then they're like all right now you have a full workload and then like one of the other therapists on her team wound up on maternity leave and then like the lead therapist on her team got mono and like two months after she started she was like managing other therapists they were bringing in replacement ones and and like talk about being thrown to the wolves and i think that's the norm like everywhere like there's football is really no different than anywhere else i mean in fantasy football football guys is is amazing and it's awesome i'm working for them and they give me a lot of leeway to do whatever but there's a lot of like mechanics and and craft of like writing an article for football guys that like you're not like sitting and watching over somebody else's shoulder and they're walking through like this is how you embed a table into our content management system um you just kind of have to figure it out over time um so yeah people think that that football is like wildly different and that like football players are wildly different and that like you know, like the expectations for football players, like, oh, this player should take less money to, to win a championship. And it's like, well, would you ever take less money at your employer to help your employer achieve? Like, you're expecting football players to operate differently as employees than you do. But at the end of the day, they're just employees. It's just a job. Um, not really, in some ways, very unlike any other job. And in other ways, like other more critical ways, not at all unlike any other job in America. So I'm going to share something when you talk about that, you know, being similar is that I had a, you know, I had a scout who's regularly a subscriber to the RSP and he's out of the league now. Um, he, he's done a lot of different work, but he, he wrote me the yesterday and he goes, I had to go back and look, I only skimmed the tight end chapter originally, but you nailed the Sam Laporta eval. I honestly didn't have high hopes for him short of landing in the perfect system spot, which he did. And this is the part that was funny to him was that your floor scenario in your report made me laugh out loud god damn that's the epitaph of so many prospects coach and gm in a pissing contest so what i had written just to give an example of that is it, my floor scenario for sam laporta in my report was um laporta winds up on a team that wants to bulk him up and make him an inline blocker because the coach and the GM are in a pissing contest and Laporta rides the bench, plays special teams, or only sees cameo roles during the length of his first contract. Um, Now, that sounds like kind of a throwaway statement for many people because it's just like, okay, 
filler what's a, what could you imagine for a floor but it is when you think about how things work it's just normal you know if you've worked in if you've worked in the real world on any level you know if you've just worked out in the world on any level you you look at the kind of dynamics that are out there so for someone who's you know scouted for four different teams and has had um you know i would how would i put it um relate you know um subcontracted by you know gms on multiple levels say to me you know that made me laugh because that was so true to 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 as a a common outcome is that conflict between two two entities creates a i'm gonna draft this player and the other guy's like well fine then i'm gonna ruin this player you know <laughs> it's like that's why i bring up shanahan or mcveigh about some things in the way that that i wonder about because this is this is a dynamic that's true going on in the background that we may not hear about long line and that's also a part of development is that you know you get coaches who say let's i wanted this type of player so you didn't get me that type of player so i'm gonna make this guy be that type of player and when he fails i'm gonna tell you i told you so you know there's like this little element of it and because you know players are so disposable in the nfl it's not you know if we had a viable one or two viable leagues that could compete on the level with the nfl and take their talents this would be a much more important thing that players work together could i mean coaches and gms work together because coaches would be like i can't afford not to get the players i want and the owners would be like we can't afford to squander these players on the level that we've squandered them um, but now it's just like and especially when you think of billionaires giving millions it's you know it's it's no different it, they're there's still a similar dynamic to someone who is an executive at a fast food restaurant paying you know talking about employees at a local branch you know so it's you know it, they may be making millions but still the relationships can have some similarities yeah it like one of my guiding beliefs in life is that like people are people like obviously there's differences between people but like everybody is operating on the same fundamental underlying operating system right social dynamics are social dynamics we're we're kind of hardwired to to relate to one another in specific ways and so it's going to create these patterns in all manner of things and and the patterns are going to be very self-similar and fractal and um you know what how you relate to your boss at your work is how most people relate to most bosses at most works and 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 the things that work in a lot of industries like my wife and her her um, employer and their like just tremendous dedication to onboarding and training and mentorship um and that produces great results and and in the nfl you see other you see teams that have that same commitment and again they get those positive results and um yeah the, the things that work are the things that work uh, football is in many ways like the most different thing that like it's the most unique job in the world and then in other ways it's like the least unique job in the entire world yeah without a doubt so okay moving forward let's let's finish this conversation with you know a talk about tanking and alternatives to tanking in dynasty leagues you did a great article um around the holiday you know around the thanksgiving holiday alternatives to tanking and what can video game development teach us about tanking in dynasty leagues so 
you know, give it to us. Tell us what we need to, how we can kind of uh, convince our our league mates to not tank at least through uh, proposing rules that that can kind of legislate that out of of our uh, of our hobby. Yeah. So um, we've talked a couple times over the last few weeks about how like fantasy football leagues really operate on two different levels. And there's like the competitive level, like this is where the actual like competition occurs. Like my team scores points, your team scores points. There's a winner, there's a loser. That's all zero sum. Every winner has a loser. Every loser has a winner. Every league at the end of the year is going to have one champion and exactly one champion, never more, never less. So anything that is to my benefit is to the detriment of all of my league mates in perfectly equal proportion. Um, and then there's a second level that's the positive sum level, and that's where like everybody in the league gets together and says, hey, this is fun for me, this is fun for me. What are things we can do to maximize all the fun bits and to minimize all of the unfun bits? Um, and that is not a zero-sum level. Like There's lots of things that you can add to leagues that will make it more fun for all involved, um, and you should. It, most of the focus on designing league rules and should be focused on that level not like what advantages one team over another but instead like what maximizes the fun for the league as a whole um and and video game development kind of has like a similar thing going on like how you play a video game is kind of like the competitive level where sometimes I, this might come as a shocker to people but sometimes video games ship with glitches um, or, or oversights or bugs in the code. Um, and some of these glitches can be fairly game-breaking. You know, like one of the most common ones is like an infinite item duplication glitch where a video game's built around an economy of scarcity, but there's some sort of glitch in the code that lets you infinitely duplicate an item, which completely destroys the built-in scarcity. Uh, and a lot of video game companies, now that, now that everything is internet connected and they can send patches after a game is already shipped, they will work hard to close these exploits. And a lot of players get mad at that and they say, this is a single player game. What I do doesn't impact anybody else. Why don't you leave me the option to do this if I want it or not do it if I don't want it? And the reason why they don't is because they've actually, you know, professionals actually know their craft, surprisingly. And they study this and they find that if a player has an option to like sidestep the designed economy um, and to their benefit, um, they will do it. It feels bad to have something like, it feels bad to have a way to play more optimally and not take it. But when they do it, they're gonna make the game less fun for themselves because this, this scarcity was designed to increase the fun factor. So they're going to um, in, not intentionally make the game worse for themselves, but if left to their own devices, they're not gonna be able to help making the game less fun. So the option is to just close that option. Just, just close off the glitch so that they don't have the choice to make the game less fun for themselves, rather than asking them to like self-regulate, because we know from experience that if it's there, they're either going to take it and make the game less fun, or they're going to feel bad about right, not look, we taking got it. Jay Crouch. Um, and obviously, you know, anytime we're speaking in generalities, like sure, maybe this player here would have found the game more fun if that glitch still existed. But on net, like if a game becomes trivial, it's not fun. Nobody, if you know, if there's a game where like you click a button and automatically win, nobody's paying $60 for that game, no matter how good the graphics are, because, okay, you push a button, you win. There's no, there's no potential to lose. There's no um, stress. There's no um, anxiety. And, and that's kind of what makes it fun. So tanking is kind of like a glitch in a video game where there is a way to play 
that will result in more optimal performance for your team. And that way to play is if you're not going to win a championship, intentionally lose. And the optimal result then is that you get better rookie picks. But that's not a fun way to play, even for the rest of the league. Like, yeah, it sucks if one of your league mates is tanking, but it's not fun for you to tank either, right? There's no, if I have a bad team and I'm trying to win and losing, that's still more fun than having a bad team and just not trying to win in the first place. Because I might go two and 12, but one of those wins is against this guy who's really had my number the last few seasons and it knocks him out of the playoffs. And that victory is so sweet. Or, you know, even, even having a chance at that victory, you know, I might be one and 12 going into the final weekend, but I still have something to play for because I can ruin this guy's year or I can like get this trash talk ammo. And even if I come short, not knowing how things are going to go is more fun. So tanking not only makes it worse for the league, it makes it worse for individual players too. So the best way to stop it is to close the glitch, to make it so that tanking is no longer to team's benefit. Because as long as it's to team's benefit, they're either going to do it and make things worse for themselves, or they're not going to do it and feel bad that they're leaving value on the table. And so there's lots of different ways you can make tanking not to team's benefits. But, but the challenge is you have to do it in a way that makes it so that bad teams still get better picks because that's another very important thing in dynasty leagues. You need a, a path for bad teams to get better and you need some headwinds to bring good teams back to the pack because nobody wants to be in a league where one guy wins every year for 10 straight years and everybody enters the season knowing there's no hope. Um, and so I, I discussed a few proposals that try to balance those two interests where you want to make it so that bad teams are rewarded but you don't want to make it where losing is rewarded. Um, and, and to do that, you need to make it so the measure of team badness is not losing. That, that has to be the first step. Um, and so like one common one I've seen and the one the NBA uses is they do a lottery. And as we see from the NBA, this doesn't stop tanking. As long as the <laughs> odds are weighted so that the teams with more losses have a better chance at the, at the first pick, like it's not as advantageous to lose, but it's still advantageous to lose. It doesn't change the incentives at all. It just diminishes the reward, but, but they align exactly the same. So that's bad. Um, some leagues use law. I'm not at all a fan of lotteries. Um, another one is to do a measure of team quality that's independent of wins and losses. Um, in my home dynasty league, actually in both of my dynasty leagues now, we just voted to change it. So in both of my dynasty leagues now, we use potential points which is basically like if this were a best ball league, if you automatically started your best lineup every week, how many points would you have scored on the season? Um, and the nice thing about this is it doesn't matter what lineup you actually set. Your potential points is going to be the same. You can start all your best players. You can bench all your best players. You're going to, your draft position is going to be yeah, the it's same. It's roster afterwards. strength as opposed to management right. strength. Right, right. Or, or, I mean, management strength like some of it's not a reflection of strength if you're intentionally losing but True. yes exactly it's <laughs> um it's more based on processes than outcomes um and and the other nice thing is that this actually is a better measure of team strength than um than pure wins and losses because again it's looking at your bench too uh potential points this year correlates better with with total points next year with wins next year with everything we care about than wins this year does it correlates better than total points this year does it correlates better with than all play this year does so if the goal is to reward the worst teams potential points is a great way to do it if the goal is to make it so wins and losses are no longer incentivized potential points is a great way to do that too um because i can start you know if i'm two and 11 heading into the last week i can start my best lineup and try to knock out my my buddy and ruin his year um as friends do 
knowing that it's not going to impact my team one way or the other. Um, and and any measure of team quality can be game. There's there's a um, famous law called Goodhart's Law that says when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to be a good measure. Um, and so potential points is a good measure of team quality, but once it becomes a target, you can game it so that it's not as good of a measure. But the ways that you game potential points, they're not unfun for the rest of the league. You can, If you only carry one defense, you're going to have lower potential points over the course of the season. But like, it doesn't make it less fun for my opponent that I don't have a defense on my bench. Or you know, if a bad team trades their best players for injured players and future picks, that's going to dramatically lower their potential point output. But also, like that's that's just good practice for a rebuilding team, like to sell this year's production and buy future years' production. Um, so that's good for the long-term health of the team and for the league as a whole. Um, so potential points isn't a perfect measure of team quality, but but the ways you kind of cheat around the edges on it are are fun still. They're they're healthy for the league overall. So I use potential points. That's a big um, one of mine. Um, but if you want to get crazy, and sometimes I do want to get crazy, it's not like fantasy football is the most serious thing in the world. There's lots of other um, like really off-the-wall proposals you can use. There's one that was proposed for the NHL, which also has a tanking problem called the gold rule, which you kind of play out the season. And the team that gets the top draft pick is the team that scores the most points after it's been eliminated from the playoffs. So bad teams get eliminated from the playoffs first. You know, like the worst team in the league might have 20 points to score points for this formula. Whereas like the 10th worst team in the league might only have 10 games to score points for this formula. So the, the bad team naturally has an advantage in terms of gaining high picks. But the way for the bad team to gain high picks is to play as hard as they can after they've been eliminated. So it motivates winning rather than losing. Um, and again, it can be gamed like the ideal way to tank under, it's called the gold rule. The ideal way to tank under the gold rule is to lose as much as you can early on. And then once you're eliminated, try to win as much as you can. Um, so it's not perfect, but it's it's another fun and kind of different approach if you want something um, wonky. Or uh, my favorite, and I've never actually seen this completely implemented in practice, and I really want to because I think this sounds like the most fun thing ever. Um, so you basically institute a reverse playoff where you, it's a 12-team league. Six teams make the playoffs. They play for the championship. The six teams that don't make the playoffs, they play for the number one overall pick. The problem with reverse playoffs is usually the best team that misses the playoffs gets the number one pick, which is bad. Right. That's the opposite of what we want. Uh, but if you do it so that the lowest score advances, okay, now things are starting to get interesting, but now we're back to the tanking problem where, okay, player teams will just start their worst lineup. So instead you add a twist where you actually set your opponent's lineup. So if you and I are both bad teams that miss the playoffs, uh, we're going to face each other, and I want my team to score less than yours, So and I control your lineup. I'm going to set the best lineup possible for you because I want you to outscore me. And you're going to do the same for me. You're going to set the best lineup possible for me because you want me to outscore you. And at the end of the day, hopefully this will give a, like the stronger team is going to score more points and get kicked out of the, the reverse playoffs. The worst team is going to advance to the championship and win the number one overall pick, um, which I like because like, honestly, the playoffs are the most fun and exciting part of fantasy football, that whole single elimination nature where anything can happen and everybody's on the edge of their seat. Um, I like it because I like the parallelism and the similarity where, like, we're just doing something we've always been doing, the single elimination playoff. We're just repurposing it in a new context. 
and also like the potential for trash talk here is off the charts and 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 the sweating the the start sit decisions where like oh should i start this guy for my opponent or this guy for my opponent and if you get a call wrong and you lose the number one overall pick because of it and um and even just giving yourself different options you know, I have a, a dynasty team that's pretty good at running back. And so every week this year, I've been debating between starting Travis Etienne, Josh Jacobs, uh, uh, DeAndre Swift, or Tony Pollard at running back. And that's it's a nice you know, problem. It is. It's a good problem to have. But like, you know, 12 straight weeks of looking at the same four names and, and picks and like, I'm sick of making that decision in reverse playoff my opponent gets to make that decision. And I get to look at like a whole new set of players to agonize over. Um, so I like that it introduces a lot of variety. So um, you would need to, you know, you'd have to think like a video game designer and be like, how are people going to abuse this system? And you'd probably have to put safeguards in place saying that like, you can't just cut players off of your team so that your opponent doesn't have anybody to start. And But I would love to see leagues try something really off the wall like this that, um, you know, eliminates the incentive to tank while still keeping in mind that like the most important thing is something should be fun um yeah and, and there's there's as many proposals out there as there are leagues virtually like everybody has their way of awarding picks and everybody will tell you in depth why their way is the best uh, i think it's just important to be mindful and, and thoughtful about like the incentive problem and, and approach it in a way that like actually deals with the underlying problem rather than just trying to like put a little spackle on the surface and kind of cover it up yeah, no, those are some great ideas and some great methods for going about it. And I love how you kind of profile us. what's more fun and what's a little bit crazy, what's fairer, you, you know, and, and those are things that, you know, you can certainly find if you want to see, see some of this in writing as well. Definitely check out Dynasty in Theory at Football Guys. You know, it's a weekly must read anyhow. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I laugh because I've had people who are new to new to the rsp and a couple of people were like you know i've i've sucked in my dynasty league for years and i got this last year or i've started listening to your pod some of your podcasts and i'm hooked you know can you tell me some things about trading or about you know different things with league aspects and i laugh because they're telling me something i go well first you need to listen to this podcast on thursday um and listen to adam talk about some of these things and then check out his column Check out Dan Kendry's column on trading, um, you know, at Football Guys as well. I mean, I just gave this, uh, that advice last night to somebody, you know, who's rather new to, to what's going on. And it's always a nice thing, you know, to be able to have Adam on the show. And I also love the fact that just from, you know, last time from a visual standpoint, I think I was making fun of myself about something. But after it was time for Adam to present his information that, that, you know, the topic that he did, the sun came out in his office. So it looked like a spotlight, like literally came on and mine started to fade um, where I am. So I don't know what's going on. Uh, we got some cloud cover. And, and so we got even some natural light um, show work um, from, from Mother Nature. Yeah, I've here. learned, I, you know, like things mentorship people don't teach you but here's here's a free one for any aspiring podcasters out there if you have south-facing windows and you're going to do a podcast at you know 11 a.m have some sunglasses handy for when that sun naturally uh comes through and hits you right in the face yeah <laughs> but listen you know we we certainly appreciate the fact that 
um, you know, Adam joins us every week. You can find him at Adam Harstead on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it. I'm at Matt Waldman again. Rookie Scouting Portfolio um, is available to pre-order at a discount for $19.95 at mattwaldman.com. You can go to mattwaldmanrsp.com if you want to learn more about it, see the collection of testimonials that I've gotten from people around the industry, um, as well as some sample you know, links of scouting reports and what they look like, or and if you're into the whole who I've hit on that's been notable, different from the norm, or who, you know, whether it's been warning you about a player that everyone loved or liking a player that maybe not everyone loved, you know, you can see some examples of that as well. I can certainly give you a long list of misses. We can begin with Demarius Thomas um, as a good example of a player that I missed big on, um, you, you know, and I learned a lot from it. But that's the thing is that, you know, we talked about pr process. You can, you'll definitely see why, um, you know, the transparent work that's done there is, is worthwhile for you. And, uh, you know, thanks again for everyone who's already uh, said, it, said, where's my, here's my credit card, just, put it here and I know there's a lot of people that if I did auto renew it would be you know it'd be fine I probably need to look into that but I don't have time from a customer service standpoint even if there's like four people who are like I didn't mean to do that can you uh can you help me out so I appreciate that the trust that I have with you guys um over the years and you know you guys have a wonderful week we will be back next week with I'm sure you know more excellent content supplied mostly by Adam over here um, and, you know, we'll go from there and, uh, and, and learn and, and see if we can get better at what we do. Thanks.